0: You know, it's a great honour and a privilege to be with you all today. And you have got amazing pastors, haven't you? I mean, Dave and Julia, you are truly amazing people and so humble as well. So thank you for trusting me. You don't know what I'm going to say yet. But (laughs) before I get started, though, um, sir, there's a gentleman up there. You've you've got a black and white check shirt on. If you'd just stand up a moment. Yeah, 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 you. You know, I I just sensed as we were worshipping... that uh, the Holy Spirit was saying to me about you that um, Jesus believes in you. And there are times in your life when perhaps you don't believe in yourself, but that's okay because you've got to just believe in Jesus more because what he believes about you is not what you believe about yourself. So he believes in you and he trusts you. Okay, thank you. And um, this lady here with the, the glasses on, yep, you're looking at me. Wave, wave at me. Yes, you. Yes, you. <laughs> no, you haven't won a prize. Sorry. <laughs> um, I just sense that the Lord might be saying to you that um, you don't really realise that when you walk into a room, that you carry the grace and the presence of Almighty God, and that there are areas in your life, there are places that you go, where you might be the only presence of Jesus, and that you are to acknowledge that and. Um, Just go with that flow and trust him. Sometimes you won't even have to speak. It's just you have to know within yourself that you are carrying the presence of Almighty God. And as you go into those places, the atmosphere will change. Okay? And just, uh, yes, you, the guy at the back. Is it or I can never say that name. Yeah, you. Um, I just sense that uh, you're a great worshipper, by the way. I just sense that um, there's a boldness and there's a tenacity about you, but um, it's like God is setting up a challenge that he wants you to go deeper. He wants you to go further. In other words, you've got to be ready to step right on the edge, hold your nose, and jump for some things that God wants to allow into your life. Okay? Right. Okay. My name's Linda, and if you... (laughs) If you want to know a little bit about me, I'm married to Jason. We've been married 28, 29 years, something like that. And we have three gorgeous kids. Um, The oldest one is Callum. He's about 34. I've been saying 32 for a couple of years, so I've got to add some years to that. And then we've got Becky, and then we've got little Jason. So all my kids are all grown up. They're all married, so they've sort of left home, but they keep coming back. Last night, little Jason, as we call him, to differentiate from him and his dad. Um, He's not that little, but we call him little Jason. He came back and he dropped in for tea last night with his lovely wife. And I just got to reminding myself, or rather, I think God was reminding me, of a time when we were at Bible college and I already had two gorgeous kids a little girl and a little boy. And I don't know what happened but my hormones sort of flipped. Maybe it was because everyone at Bible College or the women seemed to be pregnant, but I suddenly wanted another baby. Um, It wasn't sensible we were at Bible college. We'd given up our home. You know, I was living in the rooms in Bible college, struggling as it was. We had no money. And I should have been satisfied because I've got lots of friends that had no kids. And I had a boy, I had a girl. But there was just something that came from nowhere. And every time I saw a baby, I'd start to cry and get emotional. And I was wrestling with this. And then I was wrestling with it with Jason because he was trying to keep his sensible hat on and say, no, it's not the right time. We can't afford it. We're studying. Um, And I just remember going to town one day in Nantwich. We were at Bible College. I was in the market and I was looking for a china cup to have my cup of tea out of because I've got nothing wrong with mugs and stuff in the canteen, but I wanted a china cup. And I'm, I'm picking this china cup up. And just as I picked it up, This little newborn baby was next to me. And everything within me just wanted to ball. I was so happy to see this baby. And then I was so full of grief because I wanted one. Then I felt guilty because I already had plenty. And I didn't know what was going on. So I rushed back to our, our room at the Bible College. And I was in a situation where I needed to lay on the floor and pray and give my all to God and tell him to take this feeling away or do something with it. Because it was just not possible right now to have another child. And it wasn't that necessary. And because the walls are wafer thin, I had to pray silently. Have you ever been in that situation? And so as I lay on the floor, it wasn't very silent. It was ugly. It was messy. It was groaning. It was crying. But I kept my words inside because I didn't want anyone to know what I was praying about. I'd be so embarrassed. And as I got up from my messy prayer time, my silent prayer time of groaning and crying and As I got up and washed my face, and I thought I'd wash this cup out. And as I turned the cup upside down, the name of this cup, I don't know whether it was the people that made it or whatever, the china, it had Jason written across the bottom. And I just felt God nudge me and say, you're going to have a son, and his dad's going to call him Jason. And then three months later, I was pregnant, and eventually Jason was born. And I'm telling you that story because I want us to look at a story in the Bible today. And if you've got your Bibles with you, whether it's on iPad or iPhone, I don't really care, or you might even have paper. Let's have a look at the book of Samuel. So it's 1 Samuel, chapter 1. And I'll scoot through it as fast as I can. There was a certain man from Ramathaim. A Zephyrite from the hill country, you can tell I'm not very good at saying these names, of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jerome, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephraimite, he had two wives, that's a problem right there. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas and the two sons of Eli were the priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife Penina and to all his sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And he was saying, there, there, never mind, I'll compensate for your inability to have children. And the Lord closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, just in case she didn't get it, that God was the one that was at fault here. God was the one who had closed her womb. He says it twice. The Lord had closed her womb, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. Her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Anyone been irritated by any rivals in their lives? This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and she would not eat You know, she'd been given double portions. What a waste. She didn't eat any of it. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you so downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? It would have been better if he'd have flipped it and said, you mean more to me than 10 sons. You see, even her husband couldn't give her what she really needed. Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now, Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. Not a good place for a priest, by the way, to be sat down. He should have been in the throes of it. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. And she kept praying to the Lord and Eli observed her mouth and Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving but her voice was not heard. Maybe she was embarrassed too about what she was praying about. Maybe she didn't want people to hear, especially Eli, because what she was praying would affect Eli's life. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord. I love it that she's bold enough to contradict the man of God. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring my heart out to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Now, off she goes She smiles, she eats her dinner because she takes him at his word. Even though she knows that this priest is not walking right with God, she knows that it's a sign from God that God Almighty has heard her anguish, has heard her prayer, even if she didn't say it with words. And do you know, do you know, church, that sometimes you're in positions where you don't even have to utter physical words, but God hears your heart And sometimes he hears your heart before you even hear your heart. Now this wasn't a good setting. At the time Israel was battle-weary. They'd had six judges so far. And the last one, Samson, had left them in chaos and civil war and murder and debauchery and lawlessness. They'd had six leaders and none of them had had, had attained lasting peace. None of them had caused this nation Israel to be reverent to God Almighty. They came and they went, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yet Israel was now in a mess. Enemies camped all around. And into this environment, there was not one good leader, not one godly leader, not one man or woman that really feared the Lord that was in a position to lead the people, not politically and not religiously. And into this environment, we find the character Hannah. And even in Hannah's life herself, Shall I get my box myself? That's all right. I'll just get my box. Even in Hannah's life herself, she had pain. She had misery. She had rejection. She had failure. You know, women of that day, it was important that they had children. It was important that they had sons to carry on the name. And those that didn't, they were looked down upon. They were rejected. They weren't good pillars of society. And so to top this, she is in competition with a wife who has plenty of children. Not only is she childless and barren, which really means dead and useless, her husband has a wife that flaunts all these kids around her and terrorizes her and taunts her and teases her. She's cruel. But before I go on about this awful other wife just think of the situation there's two women in this man's life and the one he loves but has no kids and the other well she's okay she gives him lots of kids but he loves the other one more and gives her double portions that there is recipe for conflict so Penina the other wife with the kids is going to take all her anger and her bitterness out on the childless bride And there are times in our lives where we get hurt, where things are said over us, where the people that love us, the people that are supposed to encourage us, the people that are supposed to strengthen us, where they say stuff that's hurtful and meaningful. And even when they say sorry, sometimes we just collect it and we, we carry it around our lives and it gets heavier and heavier But year after year, this woman was beaten down. She was trodden. I don't think she could even lift her head up high. Year after year, she'd go to the house of God to worship. Year after year. I don't know about you, but there have been rare occasions in my life where I've been in the middle of church with all the singing, with all the dancing, with all the joyful noise, but in my heart, I have been hurting and I've been in pain. And at those times, I'm afraid, church, when you're feeling alone, it's very isolating to be in the house of God with so much pain when there should be so much joy. So every year, year after year, she'd pick herself up and she'd travel along with this dysfunctional, feuding family. And she knew what was coming. She knew the jibes and the taunts were coming. She knew that it would be blatantly obvious to everyone at Shiloh that she was the woman that was barren, that was dead, that was useless. And she'd be compared to. And there would be whispers and there would be pointing. And she'd carry her bag of hurt. She carried a box of hurt and pain and shame and disgrace. But I've got to tell you, year after year, she kept showing up. She kept showing up to church when she was miserable. She kept showing up to church when people was hurting her. She kept showing up to church when even God wasn't coming through for her. She was praying. She was praying. She was praying. And she was asking. And she was desperate. And she was pleading. Lord, Lord, Lord. Year after year, she kept turning up with her bag of pain. Year after year, she trundled back home, still holding on to a bag of pain. Sometimes in our lives, it gets a bit like that. We come to church, even with our bag of pain. And we leave these doors, and that bag of pain is still with us. The situation hasn't changed. The circumstances hasn't changed. The people haven't got any better around us. And our bag just gets heavier and heavier. But I've got to encourage you, church. Keep showing up. It doesn't matter if you show up in this place miserable. Pastor Dave's going to be okay with that, aren't you? It doesn't matter if you show up weeping. And carrying your bag of taunts. And what the office people have said about you. What the neighbours have said about you. What people have done to you. It doesn't matter if you keep showing up. But, my friend, you have got to keep showing up. Because one particular year, it all changed. They all went to Shiloh as normal, year after year. The family, with all the problems, that looked so good on the outside. Do you know any families like that? I remember, and I shouldn't disclose this to you. So don't tell anyone else, will you? But in our early days of being Christians... And we had babies to feed and nappies to pack, and we had to rush off to church and do all sorts of other things. And we'd be screaming at each other, "Have you got the bottles? Have you got the nappies?" I told you. To do. And then we'd come out into the front door, church. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Kick the kids to smile. No, it wasn't that bad. All the time carrying our bag of stuff. Hide it while we talk to you. But all the time, Hannah was carrying her pain. And this particular year was no different. As they sat down ready to eat, the moment she was given a double portion, her sister wife started. Nee, 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 nee. I've now got my ninth child. What about you? And she started to weep. She started to weep uncontrollably. The worship started. The band was dancing, the people were joyful, they were praising God and she was weeping inside. But something, something inside her snapped. I don't know what it was, but I love it because she stood up. There comes a time in our life where we say enough is enough. There comes a time in our life where we've got to get up, wipe ourselves down and stand And say, no more. No more. No more. Something has got to change. It's usually us, by the way, that's got to change. But I love it. It says in the Bible, Hannah stood up. It might say in your version, she stood up, but she stood up. In other words, she wasn't settling for the status quo. She wasn't having any more of it the way it always is. That was enough. The other good thing about this woman. She didn't bite back. She didn't bite back at her. No, I can't say that word. At her nasty sister wife. She didn't bite back at her husband for not sticking up for her. Because she realized something. Something that probably could have been even more painful. Something that could have caused some of us to backslide. She realized But no, it wasn't her husband's fault. It wasn't even Penina's fault. It wasn't even her fault. She was barren because the Lord had closed her womb. I don't know about you, but if that thought dropped into my spirit, I'd feel even more abandoned. I'd feel even more rejected. I'd feel even more hopeless. If if God's against me, then I've got no hope, but what can I do? But I don't know, maybe it was God's grace working on her. Because it caused her to stand up. And she ran from that table. She ran from that feast. And she ran to the house of God, where the priest was ministering. Should have been ministering. Because she knew that if she was going to get rid of her box of pain, if she had to stop carrying this pain around Then she needed to go to the source. She needed to go to the one who could change things. She needed to go to the one whose fault it was. So she ran to the house of God. And when she got to the house of God, what did she do there? She did a bit what I did. She didn't know what to say. Maybe the pain in her heart was just so void of words. It was so deep, the pain, that she couldn't put it into articulate into words maybe she just didn't understand well I wouldn't understand either but there she was at the feet of God crying to him it says that she poured out her spirit she poured herself out what I think she did was pour out all the anger all the bitterness all the pain all the questions she just poured it out and poured it out and poured it out I know the Bible talks to us about times when we don't know how to pray and we just groan. That was Hannah right at this moment. Words failed her. The pain was too deep to vocalize. There was silence on the outside, but inside there were torrents of words that just wouldn't unfold. I can imagine her shouting inside and saying, hey, I'm hurting in here. And it's your fault. And I can't go to anyone else. When we realize that we can't go to anyone else with our pain and the stuff that we carry around and our problems and our deferred hopes. When we realize that, we're on the road to recovery. Because he is the only one. He is the source of all our need. He is the source of everything we need he is the one that heals but this is linda's imagination here she's in this place where she's lost in intimacy between her and the lord because she's not talking she's not looking at anyone she's not inviting anyone to share it she's not going counseling she's not blaming anyone she wants a one-on-one with god and as she starts this one-on-one with god something is stirring in her soul she has been humiliated She has been rejected at times she has felt unloved. And she starts to realize, maybe that's a reflection of how God feels too. That right across Israel, his chosen people, his peculiar people, his people that were were put there for a purpose, that all across Israel, all his people had rejected him. They humiliated him. And even though there was a feast every year at Shiloh, it was a feast of orgies and drunkenness if you look into it. And here across all these people, across the priests and the leaders, there is one despised, downbeaten woman who seems to recognize the heartbeat of God when everyone else in their joyful worship has missed it. She is locked away in intimacy with the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. And I just sense in my spirit, in those moments, that she got a glimpse of God's heart, a glimpse of God's pain, a glimpse of God's suffering. Not only did God identify with her and know the pain she was going through, she was starting to identify the pain that was in God's heart. And then she realized, Lord, you have closed up my womb because you drew me to this place for such a time as this. If I'd have had children, I would have never have needed to seek you like this. But now because I am so desperate, now because I know that you are the only one to go to, I have made this time to be intimate and listen to your heart. And I see, Lord, that we share the same heart condition. Now, maybe that's a bit of preacher's liberty. But the reason why I think that is because when words do come to her, this is what she says. Lord Almighty, Lord of hosts, If you will look on your servant's misery and give me a son then I will give him to you Lord all the days of my life. Up to this point I thought that Hannah's barren story was like many other barren stories in the Bible when we read about Sarah Abraham's wife and she laughed when God said that she was going to have a baby. When we look at uh, Rebecca And uh, she she declares, give me a child or I'll die. So she's blaming her husband. And as we go through all the women of the Bible, they are desperate and God comes through and blesses them with a, a child. But not one of them says, give me a child so I can give him to you. Something in that prayer encounter, that intimacy changed her heart forever. That maternal mother. Need inside of her now went beyond just having a child a baby for herself it went beyond having a son and heir for her husband which is what would have given her credibility it goes beyond getting revenge on her sister wife and saying yeah I've got one too no it went all beyond that something shifted In the reason for her desperation, the reason for her need. Now she wanted God to fulfill her need so she could bless God. I don't get that. I'm a mother. I've had kids. I'm not sure that I could have done that. Lord, give, give give me some more children and I'll give them back to you for the days of their life. Then maybe I have done that as I've prayed for them. But Hannah's name means grace. And sometimes God puts a grace on our lives for something extraordinary. Something peculiar just for us. And we can't look around and measure ourselves and our callings against everyone else. Because we are individual. And God looks at us individually. And he puts his grace upon us in an individual intimate way. And upon Hannah's life was an Amazing grace. It's amazing. I just can't get over it. That year after year, she'd wanted and cried for a baby of her own. And when she gets to that moment of exchange with God, she's willing to give that thing away. But the way she addresses him, she says, Lord Almighty. Now, in our Bibles, we would think, so what? That's normal. Ah, but that's not really the true rendition. If you look back into Hebrew, if you look back into Old Testament, the original, it actually says Lord of hosts. And even that is not enough. What Lord of hosts really means is Jehovah Sabaoth. Now, that means nothing to you, does it? It's nothing to do with the Sabbath, by the way. But when you unpack Jehovah Sabaoth, it means the Lord Commander of Heaven's Armies of Angels. She's not gone to God as Jehovah Jireh, my provider, provide me with a son. She's not gone to God, Jehovah Rapha, Lord heal my womb. She's not even gone to God as Jehovah Shalom, give me peace in this situation. No, she has gone for the warrior heart of God. She has gone for the commander heart of God. She knows that this is beyond her battle. She has gone directly to heaven. She doesn't want this war waged on earth in the natural. She wants this war waged in the heavens in the supernatural. And to do that, she needs to call on a supernatural God. She needs to remind her God that he is the Lord God commander of heaven's armies of angels there are many things that we pray for and in our English language we are limited as we say God Jesus but for the Hebrews they had specific names for specific characters of God and this is what she rains down She is pulling down the commander-in-chief, the commander of a mighty army. She is ready for warfare, but she is not going to battle in her own strength. And there are too many times, saints, that we try and battle our problems in our own strength. The battle is not mine. The battle was not Hannah's. The battle is the Lord's. She is the first person. In the word of God, to address God by this name. She sets the bar for prophets after her. Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zephaniah, they all start to click on to this word, this new name. And they start to use this name so much through the prophecies. It took a woman, just saying. (laughs) She's not gone to God for a cuddle. And that's nice sometimes. She's not gone to God for comfort, although that is what we need at times. She's gone to God to tell him to get his sword, to get his army together and to fight because she's realised that this is now not just about her need. She's realised it's about God's need. Um, you can't say that. Or can you? She needed a son. She wanted a son so desperately that God needed a man to change the status quo of what was going on. And she was willing to give God that man. She was willing to offer up her son to become that man and stand in the gap. So she calls on her God, Jehovah Sabaoth, the warrior, the commander, the strong, the powerful, the almighty. The one with authority, the one with victory, the one that will protect her. And get this, also, he is her father. You know, it's good to know people in high places, isn't it? It It's so good to know people in high places. But we go through life and we just don't realize that we know someone in the highest place. That he is the Lord Commander of heaven's armies of angels. So maybe we need to start using that name more often because he will fight for us. Military, an army is regimented, it's disciplined, it's mighty, it's vast, and it works together in unity for one accord and one purpose to accomplish for what it was sent for. Even the Israeli defense uh, force today Uses that same Hebrew name. Okay. Folks, we're in a spiritual battle. There are times in our lives where it just won't do trying to work it out in the natural. We need to go to heaven. We need to call down heaven. We need to enlist the strength of our almighty God as our warrior God. So she gets up from her prayer time and she's happy. She trusts God. She believes him. She goes away and she gets pregnant and she gets a son. And we should say, amen, great story. That's the end. But it isn't. Because this woman, Hannah, she is carried around her pain and her shame. She has carried around her hurt all her life and now she has gone to God and she has prayed and she is satisfied and she knows that God Almighty has given her her prized possession he's given her what she wanted he's answered the desires of her heart isn't it a great feeling when God gives us the desires of her heart our heart isn't there a sense of rejoicing and a renewed belief that what God can do? And I can just imagine her cradling her baby. This is what she'd asked for. This is what she was desperate for. This is what was going to take away her pain. This is what was going to take away her shame. This is what was going to make her accepted in society. But she takes this gift That God has given her and she takes it back to the temple and she places it back into God's hands this is no mean feat those of us that are parents in this place we understand this a little bit better can you remember when Jochebed, Moses' mother, had to leave him, had to send him off into the Nile she had to let go of him not knowing what his future would be Hannah had to let go of her baby probably three years old, maybe younger. She had to let go of him, never to smell him so close, never to wake up with him the next day. She let go. You see, God gives us amazing stuff. Whether they're ministries, whether they're people, our heart's desires. He gives us the things that bless us beyond measure. But folks, here's the story that I think Hannah is trying to explain to us. Every good gift that God gives to us is ultimately his. Everything that God puts into our hands is ultimately his. And when we start to think it's ours and we don't let God in and we start to act like this is ours and you can't have a say. Or I'm not going to give it away. I'm going to hold on to it so tightly. Then it will starts to wither and die. Everything that God gives us, we've got to be able to say, Lord, it's yours. Lord, it's your Even my children, Lord, they're your kids. Lord, they're your responsibility. You better make sure they're okay. You better help them. What is in our life that maybe God has blessed us with, and he might be asking for it back. Or he's just saying, just prise your fingers off that a little bit more because I want to put my hand on it. You see, I referred to Jochebed, Moses' uh, Moses' mother, and when she let Moses go, she didn't know what his future would be. But he should have been killed by the Pharaoh. But she let him go in the Moses basket, and she stood by and watched. As she let him go, she was letting him go into God's hands. Hannah was bringing back her son Samuel and putting him into God's hands. And when we do that with stuff, and when we do that with people, and when we do that with our ministries, God then takes it and he breathes life into it. Look what happened to Moses. He grew up and he was the leader of a nation. He was God's mouthpiece. Look what happened to Samuel. He then replaced Eli the priest. He then for a while ruled the whole of Israel. And what was so amazing about Samuel was that he had the capacity to release leadership. He anointed David. He anointed Saul. He was a man who obeyed the word of God. He was a man that messed up at times. He wasn't perfect. There is only one that is. But he was a man that heard the voice of the Lord. I wonder if the band could come back. Am I over time? Before we opened up this scripture. What should be before it is not the book of Ruth. It should really be the book of Judges. Because that's what it follows on from. And the last verse in the book of Judges says this. All of Israel. Did what they wanted in their own eyes. And maybe. God needed a man. To change that scenario. And maybe. He positioned Hannah with all her box of pain to a place of desperation where she would touch heaven, where she would come close to God's heart and then she would see a better picture. And then she was in a place where she would lift up and she would ask for what she wanted, but she would be ready to give it back. God needed a man. Hannah offered that man. She gives him back. She lets him go. Into the hands of God. What is it that you need to let go today? Into the hands of God. You know, church, he knows your name. He knows you intimately. He knows every pain. He knows every heart's desire. He knows everything about your life. And maybe some of the obstacles are there to draw you closer to that place of intercession, that place of intimacy where God can reveal his heart to you. Would you just close your eyes as I pray? Father God, as a body of believers in this place today, we just give you permission to search our hearts especially those areas that are painful to us. The shameful areas, the the baggage that we're carrying around. And Lord, we bring that to you today. We ask that, Lord God, you would knit our hearts with your heart. That we would start to see how you think, how you feel. And Lord, as we are showered in your love and your grace. Help us, Lord, to let go, to let go of the stuff that you want to take from us, stuff that we weren't even built to carry. You can take our pain. You can take our shame. You can take it all, Lord. We give you every part of that today and trust in you And that, Lord, this woman, Hannah, beaten down, yet you raised her up. And she gave back her son to you. That one day, Lord, you did the same for us. That you gave back your one and only son, Jesus Christ. That we could have a relationship with you. And Lord, I just pray for anyone in this place today that is not 100% sure that they have that relationship with Jesus. If you are in this place today and you can't say 100% that you have this one-on-one relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to just pray this prayer with me. And you can pray like Hannah did silently. No one can hear. Dear Lord Jesus, Forgive me of stuff I've messed up with, even stuff I don't realise is against you, stuff you call sin. Forgive me, Lord. I ask you to come into my life. I hand over the reins of my life. I ask you, Lord God, to be the leader of my life. I ask you, Lord, to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take control of my life. Take me into a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church.